Hi there, welcome back to the Christians in Sport podcast. It's so great to have you with us. Uh, We've got a real treat today. We're speaking uh, in the week of the Super Bowl to a former NFL quarterback. We're speaking to him like we do with people every month. Uh, Sports people who follow Jesus, uh, who help us think about what it looks like to be a Christian in the world of sports. So we're speaking to Steve Stentrum. Steve Stentrum, as I said, he's a former NFL quarterback, played six seasons with the Chicago Bears, uh, before moving to San Francisco 49ers and the Detroit Lions, finishing off with the Denver Broncos. In college, Steve was a standout quarterback for Stanford. He holds numerous passing records uh, whilst he was there. And after his playing career ended in 2001, he went into um, full-time sports ministry. He works now as the president of Pro Athletes Outreach and Sports Spectrum, uh, working with uh, elite athletes in America, a little bit like what we do with elite athletes in the UK and around the world, they do in America. Uh, So it's great to have him with us. Uh, We're going to talk to him about his journey uh, to Jesus, how he came to trust in Jesus. We're going to talk about uh, his NFL draft experience, uh, grieving the loss of his brother, uh, playing in the NFL, and how his identity was key in managing the pressures there. Uh, the importance of community and church for him as well. It's a great story. It's one well worth listening to, whether you play at the highest level, as I know a number of you listening in do, uh, or whether you're playing competitive sport. Uh, it'll really help you think through, grapple through some big questions of how our sport and faith play together. Uh, so join us now. We're going to dive in uh, as the head of our international work, Greg Morgan, speaks with Steve Stenstrom. Steve, great to see you. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, Look, Steve, right at the beginning, um, we always ask the same question at the start of our podcast. Uh, So for you, in your sporting career, uh, what did it mean for you to have your your sport and your faith connected? Mm, Thanks, Greg. Great question. yeah, I, you know, look. I think as as life goes on, don't we get a we get an opportunity to look back, uh, and we we are a little bit more introspective, and we gain some understanding as we reflect backwards upon it. I, th- I think certainly, um, and, and I'll share what I mean by that in a moment. But I, at the time, there was no question that my, the meeting Christ and beginning to follow Him uh, altered the the way in which I approached everything in life. And, uh, and mentors were very important and helpful in that process, but it certainly it brought a new dynamic and new component to bear upon my sport. And so, um, that absolutely manifested itself in, in ways in which I behaved and ways in which I interacted with teammates, but ultimately I, I would always articulate it as a matter of motivation. It, it, it ultimately, um, ramped up my motivation from anything else that had ever driven me before. Uh, so the uh, the idea that I had a, an opportunity to honor God with my sport and in my sport and with the way I approached that sport and, and brought that to bear upon both practice and games um, in the locker room, in the stadium, whatever you want to say, it, it was very significant and noticeable. Hmm. Well, that's that's fascinating, and we're going to dive uh, into that a little bit more. But let's let's go, let's go back. Okay, let's go back to when you became a follower of Jesus. So you were a quarterback at Stanford. Uh, t- tell us your story. Tell us how you became a follower of Jesus. Great. I I grew up uh, thankful uh, by God's grace. I grew up in a family where church was regular in in our family. Uh, really uh, grateful for that. Um, would have told you. Yes, I believe in God, and I would have uh, I self-identified as a Christian 
at that time growing up. Um, and so I was, I was predisposed to saying yes to invitations when, when, when asked. What I didn't know is that I hadn't yet um, transacted with God in the way that I needed to transact. And, and uh, so when I got to Stanford in the fall of 1990, guys on the football team began to invite me to come to the team Bible study. And I said yes, because that was just what I thought. I, you know, I identified with it. So as I got there, that's when I heard uh, people talking differently about faith, differently about Jesus, differently about scripture. Uh, and I was always an inquisitive mind. I remain that way to the, to the day, to today. And I went up to the person leading the Bible study and I asked if we could sit down and talk. And I needed to hear more because I didn't understand things I was hearing. And it was at that point, sitting at a little table outside of a student union at Stanford University, that uh, a gentleman there shared with me uh, the four spiritual laws and shared with me what does it mean to that God has a perfect plan for your life. And my, my sins has separated me from him. And Jesus came as a remedy. And if I would just respond by in faith and repentance, that I could begin a walk with him. And so that day in the fall, October of 1990, I don't know the exact date. I wish I did. Uh, I said yes and began the, taking my first steps in the direction of Jesus. Oh, wow. That's, a, that's such an encouraging story to hear. And, and as you took those steps, how did it begin to impact your football well you know it it, it impacted um you know the the ways in which i began to organize my week it began to my time so i would i would spend more time with others who were on the same journey and the same trajectory it, it actually took some of those and those were mostly guys that were on the team with me you know in college uh it's a hundred people plus on a on an American football team and uh different than in the NFL when you have 53 on a roster but nevertheless there's still a lot of people so most of my friendships were on the team and it just took our friendships a lot deeper and then it also just began to um shape the things that I considered to be important and uh and significant in life so football became um, and, and it's always had, had been a dream and a pursuit of mine. And it was didn't happen overnight by any stretch. I mean, I was still very driven, very focused, identity very much wrapped up in my sport. But now I had a competing reality uh, within my life um, that was a grace-based identity versus that performance-based one. And I didn't realize that they had begun to war against each other, but they were. Huh. That's fascinating, isn't it? And and. As you transition then out of that hundred person squad and move towards a professional career in football, take us through that journey. So, so NFL draft, explain to us a little bit what that's like to, to go through that, both, both kind of big picture of how it works and your involvement in that, but also personally, what went on for you during that time of the NFL draft? Great. Uh, you know, it's an interesting process because obviously not not everyone who enters college thinks that they're going to go and eventually be a prospect. And, uh, and I'll be honest, I didn't go to college thinking I was going to be a prospect. I had a dream, but I also was, was realistic enough and uh, had chosen Stanford university with the hopes that I'd get a great education. And that would take me into a career path at some point. But, um, but as, as the Lord's plan would have it, I ended up 
getting a chance to start for four years under great coaches. I had uh, Dennis Green, who was also an NFL head coach, and then Bill Walsh, who's um, really one of the greatest uh, Hall of Fame caliber coaches that we've ever known in American football. So um, that led to a growing realization that the next level was going to be open potentially for me. And so you begin to build toward it probably two years before it actually happens. And you start to realize you watch what happens to the guys in front of you a year ahead of you. And uh, you start to work on different parts of your game that you realize are going to be important at the next level. And, uh, and so I did that, but then eventually you finish your collegiate days and the um, NFL hosts the annual combine which uh, if you're, if anyone's tracking right now, as we're building up the Super Bowl, uh, they just finished playing all the all-star games for college athletes here. So the college season is officially done as of this past weekend. And then uh, the NFL combine will come up uh, shortly uh, within, I think it'll be within a few weeks after the Super Bowl is over. And that will be a big significant marker as we go forward. But I, I did that. I went to the combine and, and you're immersed in that experience where every team is evaluating you. Every team is trying to decide if you fit with their with what they're looking for. And uh, thankfully, I went through that process and the Kansas City Chiefs chose to pick me up in the fourth round of the 1995 NFL draft, which was a very it was an incredible moment. Um and it, and it and it was obviously I think I've shared with you before, Greg. It was a it's a mixed emotions for me because some other things were going on in life at the same time. So so help us help us take that journey, if you will. The 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 drafts going on, the pressure of that's huge because you're sitting there watching and waiting and wondering, I guess, whether you're going to be picked at all. But also for you personally, there's a there's another journey going on right at the same time. If you if you're willing, yeah, take us take us through that. What that was like. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's it's one of the most defining moments of my life. I actually um, have told people I, I never actually saw myself get drafted. I was uh, I was actually next to my brother's bedside. Uh, he was a freshman at Cornell University up in Ithaca, New York, and um, he contracted spinal meningitis and was in a a time I got from Southern California with my wife Lori. We flew cross country to be at his bedside. He was in a coma at that time. And so we spent uh, the NFL draft weekend with Jeff um, praying, hoping, begging God to heal him, begging God to make it not end in, in his death. But ultimately we had to make a decision as a family to take him off of life support. And so um, that was a couple of days after I was drafted. I was, uh, we, we'd watched the TV and the little, Ticker across the bottom, saw saw my name go across the bottom, but never actually saw the moment happen. And uh, and, and it was obviously incredibly difficult, heart wrenching. The uh, juxtaposition of those two things happening at the same time really rattled my my whole world and and began to shake the very foundations of of everything in my life. Um, but I'm great. In, in the end, I've I've I'm grateful one that Jeff uh, was a Christ follower himself, and that was a tremendous gift and comfort. But it also became the backdrop for everything that would be my NFL career going forward from that day. I was thrilled to have the chance to pursue that dream, but I would hold it in in with an open hand 
and uh, and thank God for every day that I would get um, because Jeff's life and his death and eternal questions and matters were always at the backdrop. Wow, thank you for for sharing that with us. It must mm-hmm. have been just an overwhelming period of your life, uh, and as you say, shaped you you going forward as an athlete. Um, let's let's fast forward a little bit if if you're okay to do that to to nineteen. Uh, beyond 1995 and the draft to to playing in the NFL, so for starting for playing in the NFL, uh, and we've we've spoken about this this before, but there's a difference, isn't there, between college football, which is a high level of football, and then the NFL. Tell us a little bit about the difference there and what it was like for you being in that environment. Uh, it's 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 thrilling and exciting, and yet it is just um, it takes the level of intensity to a whole nother level um to your point the um the caliber of play is um elite across the board in the ultimate sense of the word and anyone who's participated in elite athletics or pro athletics um anywhere in the world can appreciate um what is it like to play a sport and to be around others who are playing the sport at the highest possible level it just uh, it's a thrill and you really appreciate uh, and I appreciate this with other gifts and talents too, um, people that do it in arts and music and other areas. But, um, but it was fascinating. It was uh, it, it brought um, a lot of pressure to bear. Obviously, it, uh, it it illuminated the performance-based nature of pro and elite sports uh, at the highest level. And it was incredibly challenging as a as a Christ follower to remember where your identity is in the midst of all that. But it, but I loved it. I, I thrived on it. I loved working hard. I loved being challenged. I um, enjoyed the six-year journey that I was in, allowed to uh, enjoy. I wanted it to go longer. I always wished there were more years. And yet um, it was a fascinating time frame. But to, to feel like you're transitioning in life at 30 years old uh, into something new is, is, is kind of funny and interesting. Yeah, it is. It feels... A little bit of life is over, but you're only 30 years old. It's 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 a strange thing, isn't it? Let's let's it let's dig in, let's dig into that in, in, in a moment. But let's let's stay on uh, on your playing career. So you've gone from this this team at Stanford where there's Christian friends around you through a very traumatic draft into the NFL, high level performance based environment as a believer. Talk about your faith journey and amongst that. How how did you stay in Christ? In that hmm. time, yeah, great question. I I think I I look back and um, one of the things that I'm grateful for early in my walk with Christ is that was embedded in my my perspective and all my paradigms was the importance of others and the importance of community and the importance of of teammates and coaches, spiritually speaking, from a faith vantage point. So I, when I was at Stanford, I met with four men every week for an hour, and they just coached me and mentored me. And I met with different Bible studies and made church regular. So I think not getting isolated was uh, a very significant part of my early learnings as a Christ follower, which then carried over uh, into the NFL. So even though there were fewer people there to connect with, it was a priority to seek them out and find them. And they were, they're there. And I think that's what we can all, there's rare occasions and there are occasions where you are by yourself, um, but not very often. And and I think there are 
there are believers out there if we'll seek them out and find them. So we did. My wife and I, I was grateful to have her. We, had, we were newly married. And so we found other couples. Uh, there was a chaplain on the team that I spent time with every week. And uh, that chaplain, gratefully, I was grateful. He um, introduced us to um, the Ministry of Pro Athletes Outreach that very first year in the NFL. And so we went to um, a, a, the league-wide conference with 100 other believers that very first year. So you realize you weren't alone yeah. and that in and of itself, even if you're not geographically in the same place, um, that the comfort of knowing there's others um, running the same race in the, in a sense is really encouraging. Yeah. That's, that's what a privilege that is, isn't it? And, and it is. what a necessity it is to be able to stand firm throughout a very challenging time. And yes. take us into that then. Take us into the actual gameplay. So your first regular season start. Um, help us <laughs> help us understand what happened during that game and and navigate both from, from the sports perspective, but also from your, your faith journey and how you you stayed in Christ in that moment. Yeah. Well, it's it's fascinating. I um <clears throat> you know, a couple couple key stories in the midst of it. My my very first game action. Um, came against the Green Bay Packers. And when you're playing for the Chicago Bears, that's a big game every every year. And uh, and so my, my very first action came in the fourth quarter of a game. And I was, it was right, it was, it meant that the next week I was likely going to be the starting quarterback for the Bears. And because we weren't doing very well and the game wasn't going well. So I was going to get some time and then it was likely my shot. And on my very first play, um, I dropped back to pass. I threw the ball to the, my receiver and my offensive lineman who was protecting what's often called the blind side, the, uh, the side the quarterback can't see when he's dropping back. He was blocking his guy and he stepped backwards and his foot stepped on my heel uh, with such force that it actually broke my, the, my heel bone in that moment. And I, I thought it was a bad sprain. And uh, we, I've actually played the rest of the drive. I kind of, you know, a little bit, if you're watching this year, a little bit like what Patrick Mahomes did in that the game he got injured. Uh, incredible what he did in the game he came back and just played. But in the game he was injured, you kind of, you have enough uh, adrenaline going that you keep going despite the significance of the injury. Well, I did that, uh, found out after the game that I had broken my foot and was out the rest of that season. So I had to wait a full calendar cycle before I got to come back the following year, uh, during which I did finally get a chance to make my first start and uh, played half the season for the Bears as a starting quarterback. But that that first play, I'll never forget it. I can still see it happening. The ball a friend named Curtis Conway caught the ball and he ran with it. And I went down as soon as I got stepped on. Oh, and you know, your, your career would be leading up to this moment. You know, humanly speaking, you're looking at that going, this is my shot. This is it. That's right. And then that happens. I mean, that's devastating. How, how did you mentally and spiritually grapple with that in the days after that event? I, I think, Greg, I think it was one of the hardest things I've ever gone through um, as an athlete, as an athlete, not, not compared to what I just described with my brother, but um, as far as the grind and, and what it takes to be elite, what it takes to, to want to be the best that you can be, you know, when you, 
you have been dreaming of and working toward that moment when you actually get real game action at the highest level and your dreams are just right there in front of you. And then that, and I, 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 I'll never forget. I walked in, I had crutches, uh, the way it works in the NFL, you've got really from the Sunday when the game happens, uh, Monday, you review the game Tuesday's an off day. Um, and then you come back Wednesday, ready to work for, for four days to get ready for the next game. And, um, I, I was on crutches for Sunday and Monday. And on Tuesday, I walked in that office and I handed the crutches back to the trainer and I said, I'm ready to go. And I knew I wasn't, but I was saying I was, and, uh, the trainer sat me down, called the head coach up. He came down and sat with me and said, Steve, here's the result of your x-ray. Um, you're done for the year. And and I'll tell you what, by, by the next week, I didn't even feel like I was part of the team anymore. I mean, literally, when you aren't able to do what you do and contribute toward the outcome that everybody's working toward, they have to keep going. It's not this. It's part of the system. And um, it's it's not anybody's ill intent. They're not trying to make you feel bad, but you just don't feel like you belong. And that's where the performance-based side of life and the performance-based approach to athletics is really a, a treacherous uh, approach and road. Because when you can't do what, if, if, if your identity is based on your doing, what happens when you stop doing that thing? But if your identity is based upon your being in Christ and it's a grace-based approach, well, now your identity doesn't change just because your doing changes. Wow. Uh, how did you how did you live that out? Were there people around you that supported you? You couldn't have done that on your own during that period. It would have been too traumatic to see with that clarity. How did you navigate that through that time? Yeah, and I don't think I had that clarity at that time. Uh, so I, I think I'm I'm able to look in retrospect to know how I actually grew during that time. I think I actually, um, yeah, you know, I'm not one to run from challenges. I'm not one to I'm one to face them and and let them be what they are. But it, I think amidst the grieving process of not playing and life changing. I had wonderful people, my wife, our chaplain, great family, lots of friends who, who rallied around and where they were encouraging. And again, I'm, I'm a big proponent on community, a big proponent of not getting isolated. Don't fall into the trap of sitting there binge watching TV or grabbing some book and being by yourself. You got to be with other people especially in the hard times. Hey, sorry for interrupting, and I hope you're really enjoying our chat uh, with Steve. Uh, I really am, and we're going to get back to it in just a minute. Uh, but before then, I wanted to tell you about the Academy. Uh, the Academy is our resources platform where we have loads of blogs, podcasts, videos, Bible studies uh, for sports people, helping uh, them explore how sports and faith connect. There's, there's blogs about the latest news and, uh, and how the front pages are affecting the back pages. Uh, there's blogs as well about uh, what it looks like to share your faith in sport or think through competition, think through some of the issues which Steve's been talking about. Uh, can I recommend you sign up for the Academy Briefing? Uh, you can do so on our website, it's an email. Uh, we won't spam you, uh, but about twice a month, we'll send you a sort of a digest of all the content released that month. Uh, straight to you, straight to your inbox. You can unsubscribe, of course, at any time. The Academy Briefing, though, is well worth 
getting. Uh, just head to christiansinsport.org.uk forward slash academy or you can find it on our homepage. Do check it out. Uh, but back now to Greg and Steve. And let's let's journey through your career. So six years playing then in the NFL uh, and then 30 you come to 30, your career comes to an end. I mean, that's so young, and yet your transitioning is, is over. What was that like, and how did you deal with that transition out of the NFL? Mm. You know, I I look back on it. I actually, it, it's a really important decision, I think, for anyone in, in athletic pursuit to, to know you're done. Now, Ironically, I think the Lord was shifting my heart, beginning to change the course of life at the same time as the game was starting to tell me I was done. You know, there were others coming along every year. The draft keeps happening. So there's a whole new pool of talent coming through to the average career in the NFL is 3.2 years. And so it it just is a short process over time. But um, you know, I I held on and and was debating signing again and and 2001 to try to play a seventh year with and the Denver Broncos wanted to sign me and I remember sitting in church with my wife and the pastor was teaching from the book of Ecclesiastes I actually read the same passage this morning in my devotional time which is great now that we're talking about it but on the the time and season for everything right when when Solomon's talking about it in chapter three and uh and he he went he said something that really hit both Lori and I which is he said there, you know, in life, there's waiting seasons and there's launching seasons. And the worst thing you can do in a waiting season is try to launch. And the worst thing you can do in a launching season is try to wait. And, uh, and so we were just conflicted over whether we were in a waiting season or a launching season. And so I ended up signing back with the Broncos to try to play. And I went to mini camp in, in uh, April of that year. And I knew the moment I walked in that locker room that I didn't belong there anymore. And it was not the season of life that I was in anymore. And so um, in time, we've come to like adopt a, f- a couple phrases in our house. One, uh, he always writes the best scripts. And, um, and then the other one is, I can trust the next chapter because I know the author. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's sort of where we moved into at that point was had confidence that it was it was time to move on and it was time to do something different and uh and athletics was never the the culmination of life it was never the the destination for which we were working it was just a stop along the journey and and so the journey took was had more stops in front of it and more chapters that were already written that we were supposed to live and we're in the middle of them now to this day Wow, that's uh, that's so helpful, isn't it? Because it's such a, a momentous point in the life of an athlete when you come to realise that that it's over, and yet to navigate it with that perspective and to see through the book of Ecclesiastes clearly that there are seasons in life, and that's okay, and that is okay, is is really helpful for us to chew on. It Steve, is. It is indeed. Steve, as we come to a close now, we're, we're recording this in Super Bowl week. That's a a chaotic week in the lives of those two teams. And you work for PAO, as you spoke about already, Professional Athletes Outreach. Just take us on a journey, really, of, of what you guys 
uh, do in supporting players and what it's like for the players in this week as they approach uh, the Super Bowl. Uh, thanks for the chance to share that. I, As I mentioned, our rookie year in Chicago, my wife and I met this ministry, uh, PAO, Pro Athletes Outreach. It was started in 1971, so it was long before us, and it's uh, still going to this day. And it's a privilege to now work for and serve the ministry and be part of a great team. Uh, historically, we've we've hosted uh, annual conferences that, that gather together the league-wide uh, believers and those who are exploring faith. And uh, and so we've been doing that for all those years. Um, we, we call them the Increase Conference now, and that's based on John 3.30, which is when John the Baptist, who was quite popular in his day, uh, had the perspective when um, asked by his followers, how did he feel when everybody started going to Jesus in the third chapter of the book of John? And uh, John the Baptist had a great response. He said, uh, look, I... I know my place. I'm paraphrasing now. I I know my place. Um, A a wedding is a a great thing. And when the groom shows up, um, he walks down the aisle to the, to the, or when the bride shows up, she walks down the aisle to the groom and not to the best man. And I just know I'm one of the groomsmen here and I get to celebrate when people go to the groom. And so my joy is made complete. He must increase, but I must decrease, which is John 3.30. So we host the Increase Conference, which is that we hope the pro community would so come to know Jesus in such a way and walk with him and, and serve him that they would too echo those words that ultimately the reason I do what I do, the reason I live for what I live for is that he must increase, but I must decrease. And so those seven words are ultimately the center point of our ministry. This week is obviously the culmination of a season. Uh, the interesting thing, if you if you take a minute and think about it, um, you probably can't name the last five winners of Super Bowls if you're a fan of American football. This, this will move on to a new season next year and the new pursuit, but it is an amazing time and sport here in the U.S. And it uh, is one where they get an extra week off to get their bodies fresh and healthy, get prepared. And uh, so last week they were getting ready. This week, everything will descend upon Phoenix, Arizona, and all of the league will be there. All the players from all teams will show up there for appearances and autograph sessions and parties and all sorts of uh, opportunities because the the moment is coming when we're going to crown a champion. And uh, that champion is going to be the, the Chiefs or the Eagles this year. And it's going to be quite a battle between the two. And we have we have pros on both teams. Um, so we're, we're neutral in terms of our uh, our bias. Um, but we're praying that God would be glorified through the actions of those who are on the field. And then a couple of weeks after it's over, we host our annual conference. So we'll be with uh, you know, guys and couples from all 32 teams, chaplains from across the NFL, friends and partners around the world like you, which I'm excited about. And uh, and we'll be doing that here at the end of February, which ultimately for us is a great way to celebrate whatever God did during the last season. And there've been some amazing moments this whole season in the NFL. Hopefully people have watched them and seen them. Um, we're playing more games internationally now too, which is great and fun. And there've been some uh, major headline stories that have come out of the season that's the type of stuff that we'll bring to our conference, but with Jesus at the center. So like I said, he must increase, but I must decrease is the, is the theme and the, the motto and the, the cry that we want everybody to, to recognize. That's, that's so healthy, isn't it? In the, in the culture that we live in, where the focus is so on the now and the glory of the now, 
to remind athletes that he must increase and we must decrease. How, how do they take that? Do they do they latch onto that straight away, or does it take time in terms of discipling athletes to see the perspective of their lives and their careers uh, clearly? I'd say it's some of both, Greg. I would say some of uh, there the uh, community of faith is very strong across the NFL today, and there are some incredible men and women who are following Jesus and know him at a really deep level. And that is the, the way they live their lives. They really want to deflect the glory. I mean, cause yeah, it was like with any elite athlete in any culture, the worship and adoration from the outside is really strong. And so at the, at the heart of an athlete who is pushing back against that with a grace-based identity um, is this recognition. I'm not the one that should be worshiped. There is one that should be worshiped and his name is Jesus and he's over there. So there's a lot of our community who know that. And then a lot of people, we get a chance to introduce them to uh, Christ for the first time and expose them to a, a life of faith and, um, and encourage them in that journey. And it's fun to watch as the light bulb goes off and as the Holy Spirit begins to work and new people go, huh, that sounds intriguing to me. And they begin to ask great questions. And so uh, that's what we pray happens whenever ever we get together. But then throughout the year, we spend time with these men and women, too. It's not just a conference. We work with them 365 days a year and we work in partnership with their chaplains. And um, and it's it's a great um, it's a great motto and reminder um, far more than a motto. It's a really not a fair word to use, but it's a great truth for that they cling to. And um, and we're hopeful for more and more. That's brilliant. Thanks, Steve. We are so appreciative of your time uh, that you've taken to be with us today. Thank you so much. Loved it. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for all you guys do. Hey, that was great. Wasn't it so super wonderful to hear Steve's story, his honesty, his openness, uh, his awareness of what it uh, meant to think through his identity in sports, uh, how he worked that through. So thanks so much to Steve for his time. Uh, we do hope and pray it's been a really encouraging and a challenging listen. I know it was for me. As I said earlier, uh, do get yourself signed up to receive the Academy Briefing. When podcasts like this land, you'll be the first to hear about it. It'll come into your inbox. Uh, We'll make sure you get that there. Uh, And if you can, please do help the algorithm do its job. Find others who might be interested in the podcast um, by leaving us a review and a rating. It really does help. Um, We live in a world of algorithms now, but a little review and a rating uh, really does help others like you. um, Helps us find other sports people who are interested in connecting sport and faith as they get this recommended to them. So uh, we'd really appreciate if you could do that. Um, It'll take a a couple of seconds, I'm sure, whatever app you're listening on. Uh, But that was our time with Steve. Hope you really enjoyed it. We'll see you again soon. Uh, We've got more interviews lined up. We're about to speak to somebody uh, who's competed in numerous boat races uh, before the next boat race out in March. So that's a great interview we're looking forward to uh, and loads more lined up to come. So we'll see you soon. Thanks so much for joining us again. Bye-bye.